Hi there everyone, I'm Naomi Mella and you're listening to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that tells the stories of women with interesting, unusual and inspiring careers. Before we crack on with today's episode, I want to say a massive congratulations to Jamie Chadwick, who appeared on the very first episode of this podcast and who this week has become the first woman ever to win a Formula 3 motor race. This is a really big deal in motorsport and is another step on Jamie's journey towards Formula 1. She's had some great coverage on the media about this and we wish her all the rest, best for the rest of the season. You can still hear my chat with Jamie by searching for Smashing the Ceiling in iTunes or on your favourite podcast provider. And if you feel like leaving us a nice review, then please do as it makes it easier for others to find us. I'll be honest, even my mum hasn't left a review yet, so we need all the friends we can get. On to today's episode though. My guest today is Manon Bradley, a woman of so many talents and interests that the conversation we had went on for ages. And she's a prime example of how starting this podcast has led me to meet women, both virtually and in reality, that I'm really inspired by. I so enjoyed meeting Manon and we had a right laugh. She is a woman with an extensive and extremely varied CV, just the kind of woman we like here on Smashing the Ceiling. Manon is a world champion powerlifter, six times world record holder and qualified powerlifting coach who has written extensively about the benefits of powerlifting for women and improvements in confidence that it can bring. Manon's day job as a director of the Major Projects Association means she's involved with some of the world's largest infrastructure projects, maintaining relationships with the engineers, contractors and government stakeholders running these billion dollar projects. The construction and engineering sectors have had significant issues recruiting women and improving their diversity. So as the head of the MPA's Gender Balance Initiative, Manon aims to educate and encourage companies on how they can improve in this area. God knows how she finds the time, but she's also involved in politics as the co-leader of the Oxford branch of the Women's Equality Party, of which more later. There was a lot to cover, but we started with powerlifting. And how did you get into how did you get into powerlifting in the beginning? Because 15 years ago or however long it is you've been doing it for, it wasn't a super common thing for no, women. No, not at all. Men. When I first started, I remember going to my first national championship. There were seven women. Mm. Um, and I think I'm the only one who's still lifting. By me. Uh, but it actually started before that. It started in 1992. I'd not long left university. I got my first job. Um, I was in a position to join a gym, you know, the fancy health club in the centre of Manchester. And um, so I, I loved this. And I went to the gym and they do the little tour for you and they show you all the machines and things. And, and they do the typical thing of assuming that as a woman, what you want to do is to lose a bit of weight and to tone up but not de- not get too muscular. You know, that's that's the line that they trip out every time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was 26 or something. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. And um, not long into being a member, I was stood at the water fountain, filling up my water bottle, and this voice behind me said, Oh, you've got great legs for a bodybuilder. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a bold statement. A bold statement. And, um, I one of the things that I think works in my favour in my life has been the fact that I push at open doors. Yeah. So instead of going, you know, who the hell are you? What makes you think you can comment on my body like that, complete stranger? I thought, hmm, let's find out what this is all about. There's a chap called Patrick. And I spoke, I said, what, what do you mean? I've got great legs to be a builder. He said, well, I, I, ha- I don't know if you've ever seen any photographs of me, Naomi, but I've got big calves. Okay. Big calf muscles. 
And calves and forearms are very difficult to develop because you use them day in, day out. Uh, you either have them or you don't. Okay. Very famous photographs of Arnold Schwarzenegger at the fairly beginning of his power, uh, bodybuilding career. He's standing in the, in the sea uh, up to his knees, and it's because his calves didn't match the rest of his physique. <laughs> right. Okay. So this guy was saying, look, you've already got the calves. You know, you'd get 10 out of 10 on your calves now um, if you – if you built up the rest of your body, and you know, I was quite muscular, you could make a great bodybuilder. Um, so that was the beginning of my weightlifting journey because that's that's what you have to do to be a bodybuilder. Is you, you have to learn how to, to lift weights to develop in certain ways. Okay. Patrick taught me the basics of, of how to lift weight. I ultimately chose not to go into bodybuilding because there's too much... Um, <laughs> For a start, there's a lot of drug taking in bodybuilding now, uh, mm-hmm. steroid use, um, yeah. and a lot of objectification of women within it. So to be okay. a successful bodybuilder as a woman, you have to be muscular. Also, you have to take on those kind of feminine markers because they are muscular. They then sort of make sure they've got all the hair and the nails and the makeup and um, breast implants because they've taken so much testosterone, they've lost the normal breast mus- breast. Uh, you know um so yeah it was a it was strange and it wasn't a space that I wanted to get involved in and I felt I don't want to build muscles for display you know that's what women are traditionally told is that what like is what matters and I thought actually it isn't what looks what I look like that matters it's what this body can do that matters Mm -hmm. rather than what Mm -hmm. it looks like so I carried on lifting weights for another 10, 12 years with no direction at all. I just did it because I loved it, because I was good at it, because I could pick up dumbbells in the gym that frightened the men and do <laughs> inclined dumbbell presses, um, sort of laughing to myself all the time. But then in 2004, I found out that this was a sport. You know, it was a competitive sport. And I thought, what? So I can do the thing that I love and I could potentially get a medal. You know, who doesn't want a medal? Everyone loves a medal. Everybody loves a medal. <laughs> I'm like Muttley, you know, give me a medal, give me a medal. And um, so I entered my first competition. I just did bench press at that point. And um, about three weeks later, I got this letter through the post. And congratulations, you have qualified uh, your, your performance at the last competition has qualified you to take part in the European Championships in Como in Italy. Oh, lovely. <gasps> I danced around the living room. You can't believe how excited I was. I did one competition, went to the European Championships and won it. And, um, wow. And the local that's, that's newspaper a pretty good been, you know, overnight sensation. Yeah, definitely. But of course, it, I wasn't an overnight sensation. I've been lifting weights for over a decade. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those typical stories if I'd already put in the 10,000 hours. Um, yeah. But it's just that nobody saw me do that. Um, and, and that was the start of it. You know, I then went to the World Championships that year um, and came second. Um, and I was determined not to come second again. So I've <laughs> won every competition I've ever entered since time. Jamie, that is that is an incredibly impressive statistic that you've won every competition you've entered since. That's that's yeah. absolutely fantastic. How do you combine your 
training around your work like what would your average sort of training week look like in order to be a world champion and also what are the different events that you do and how do you train differently for those different events okay so um so powerlifting is made up of three moves there's squat bench and deadlift so the squat is where you have the bar across your shoulders standing up you you squat down so that you goes deeper than your knees basically Mm -hmm. and you stand back up again yeah bench press you're lying on your back you you have the the bar in your hands above your chest basically bring it down touch your chest pause put it back up again deadlifting the bar is on the floor you stand next to it grab the bar hold it and stand up straight yeah it never goes over your head in that movement um so it's not Olympic lifting, but there are so there are three lifts to, to powerlifting discipline. I compete in the squat and in the bench press. I have competed in the deadlift, but it's not my best lift. Okay. And and you can also combine all three and do what we call full power. Uh, okay. Most most people do the full power. So I'm mostly I'm just training for two lifts. Uh, so the squat and the bench press. Bench press is my better of those two lifts um i've got the current world record in the bench press okay i'm always under pressure to to ensure that that is at that world-class level squat is british uh, record well i held the british record in the squat so my priority is always with my bench so i would try to do two if not three bench press sessions a week particularly if i'm coming up to a competition so i'm training for the european championships at the moment which is in the middle of september okay stepped up training to have three bench press sessions a week it's very hard to do that it's very difficult to fit it around work um this week for example i've I've not got home till 10 o'clock two nights this week. Crikey, right. So I'm, I'm having to squeeze it in at the weekend. And do you have a, and what about a coach? Do you, who are you coached by? Because I know you are, you yourself are a coach as well, aren't you? Um, I do, do you... coach some people, um, yeah. which I love instantly. It, the joy of giving advice to somebody, seeing them make an improvement and then their lifts going up is amazing, you know, and it, I really love that that aspect. I I've had coaches in the past who haven't made much difference to my lifting. Okay. Professional personal trainers. Mm-hmm. And so mostly I train with my boyfriend, um, who's actually been my training partner. Okay. All time that I've been lifting. Um, he knows works for me he knows what my body responds to so for example I could be doing a drop set which is where you start with a heavy weight you, you lift it until you can't lift it anymore and you drop the weight slightly and then you okay. lift it till you lift can't lift it anymore and drop the weight slightly and I can do a drop of two kilos and keep going two kilos keep going two kilos keep going. for most people that's very difficult Mm-hmm. And, and you know once you've got to a point of exhaustion with one weight you'd probably expect to drop it by at least five kilos yeah 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 do the next thing I somehow have the capacity to just 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 take a kilo off it and I'll push again take a kilo off and I'll push again um just the way that my you know that my strength has developed over the years is that I can do that yeah so he knows that he knows when he can push me and when I'm just too exhausted and I, I yeah. need a bit of rest um, yeah. and he knows what sort of training works for me so he's not a professional coach he's not a professional 
personal trainer, but um, would not be where I am without him, without no. a shadow of a doubt. And do you, about what about um, mentors and people that have kind of helped you along your journey? You mentioned obviously Patrick at the beginning. Have you? What's your view on um, female coaches versus male coaches? And do you think that women starting out in sports like powerlifting benefit from female input or have you found that that hasn't really made that much of a difference for you and that you've just sort of got on with it and gone along the way as you have yeah well I as I started there weren't that very many women doing it Mm. so it would have been quite difficult to find a sort of a female role model or a mentor because there just weren't that many no sure the great thing about powerlifting is that most aspects of it men and women's bodies do the same in the same way Um, and the differences between men and women are the same as the differences between a tall person or a short person coaching of people in powerlifting has to take account of their physical um, idiosyncrasies that means is that men and women can coach one another and it makes no difference um and so you do, because this is a predominantly male sport, you do see lots of male coaches of women and they get great results. Yeah. Um, and there's, again, because because it's about lifting as much weight as you can, you're not going to patronise the women. You know, nobody's talking down to them and going, oh, well, maybe you could just have a little go at this. Yeah, sure. Most you can. Get the yeah. most you can out of it. And I think that's one of the great benefits of, for women it's it's smashing those gender stereotypes it's treating the men and women absolutely equally on the platform the person who wins is the person who lifted the most weight in both male and female competition really clear cut which means there's real equality within powerlifting as a sport obviously there's been a massive explosion of things like crossfit in the last three years has that had an impact on what you've seen in powerlifting whenever i go and talk to people particularly engineers about recruiting more women i tell this story about how in our federation we increased participation by almost a thousand percent 10 years wow. and in the same 10 years the the difference in the number of female engineers has increased not a jot no and and so the answer, the, the engineers just say, well, it's male-dominated and, you know, environment, it's hugely macho, women don't want to do it. And I say, ditto powerlifting, but look what we've done. And the answer is absolutely down to CrossFit. Yeah. And, the, and you know, it's a, a standard line that I trot out now is, what's the CrossFit? What is your CrossFit equivalent? Where can you find the women? So the, the idea about the CrossFit is instead of having to go to the scary, stinky end of the gym and pick up weights, CrossFit took the weights into the dance studio, introduced the women to weightlifting in an environment in which they already existed, already there. So women already were doing aerobics classes and, you know, step and body pump. And and it's just just one step on from body pump. Um, So it's a comfortable introduction. Much easier than saying to them, well, why don't you go down to the end of the gym and squat your body weight? <laughs> yeah, that sounds less appealing, doesn't it? Too big a leap. And um, so I sort of say that to, to engineers um, and designers and all those professions where they say, oh, we can't recruit the women. I said, that's because what you're trying to do is force women down the same funnel 
you find men. You have this career trajectory and you have this um, route to route to engineering, which is the typical one that men take, and you're expecting women to follow it. That it hasn't worked for the last 30 years. What makes you think it's going to work now? Mm. Um, mm. Find a different way, a different route in. And if that's recruiting history graduates and putting them on engineering conversion course, then do that. Yeah, yeah. That's the equivalent of CrossFit. To the place where women already are, i.e. arts courses, then finding a way to introduce engineering to them in the way that CrossFit introduced powerlifting to hundreds and hundreds of women in the UK. We have increased our membership by just nominally. Um, It's still male-dominated, but whereas it used to be something like 90% men, 95% men, now it's... 62% 62% men, 62% men, we've got 38% female um, membership within the BDFPA. Yeah. Oh. And do you think, and CrossFit has been driven by this whole concept of inclusivity and the marketing around it is just brilliant. You know, I've got friends who go to CrossFit who I never, never thought would be lifting weights. You know, like people who I really were not into the gym at all or were not particularly sporty and suddenly say god I go to CrossFit I love it there's a social culture around it of of inclusion and diversity which is warm and encouraging environment um which is a reflection I kind of gather from what you're saying is a reflection of the powerlifting world as a whole but just marketed in a very mass manner would you agree with that so yes I think so I mean I think um powerlifting is the niche sport and um and the reality of it is that if you know if you do that transition from crossfit to being a competitive powerlifter you do have to go and do it in the stinky end of the gym (laughs) (laughs) um and you have to drop those other activities it's very difficult at, at an international level particularly to be spending a lot of time doing aerobics and then go and squat one and a half times your body weight you you can't maintain that your body needs to Focus on one thing. And a, a good friend of mine once said to me, Manon, you can either be fit or you can be strong. You have to decide. And he's, Ooh, he's that's right. interesting. Okay. Right. I mean, my cardio strength is fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can run for the bus and not get out of out of breath. Um, but it isn't as good as it was when I used to run 10k on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I can't do that. That that's the way to get that sort of cardio fit is to do lots of running and long cycling. But if I do that, it gives the wrong message to my legs. And when I gave yeah. running, I got much better at squatting. You mentioned about talking to engineers. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously, your role with the Major Projects Association, you're the development director for yes. them. Can yeah. you just give us a little overview of what your role with them involves as well? Yeah, so we're actually a really small organisation. Um, I say that to everybody because if you look at our website and what we do and what we, um, the events we put on and the reports we produce, you'd imagine that we are much bigger than we are. Um, and my role, because we're a small organisation, my role in, is involved in everything. So okay. I have input to, uh, I edit all of our reports, I have input to all of our events. Um, I have particular responsibility for recruiting our members and making sure that they're getting what they need, you know, as you'd expect from a development director. Um, but and one of the initiatives that I lead um, is our gender balance initiative. And this is very particular to me. So I came into 
the major projects association from a charitable background. I'd been a fundraiser for 15 years. Um, and being in the charity sector, I'd been in female-dominated environments for most mm-hmm. of my career. And coming into the major projects world, it was a very stark shock for me to see so few women. Hmm. And, um, I started asking questions and saying, look, this is a bit weird. Where are all the women? And, um, <laughs> at first, I was told, you know, hush, hush, you don't want to be labelled as a as a feminist, basically. <laughs> and you're thinking, yes, I'm I do. I'm happy being a feminist. <laughs> yes, I have T-shirts with that written on. But... Um, <laughs> but but, um, you know, don't forget, this is going back about eight or so years. Um, and most of the major projects you've been involved with. Sorry, I was just going to say most of the major projects you'd be involved with would be big infrastructure, construction, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's what our members do. So our, our members are the big infrastructure projects at like High Speed 2, um, Tideway, companies that are involved in delivering those. So the big contractors, yeah. consultants, those sorts of people. Um, and uh, so I first started when I first started talking about it, it was kind of we don't talk about that (laughs) and then I said well no I think we should talk about it and began began to get some traction and in 2015 persuaded the board that they should give me some time and some money to set up our gender balance initiative and I have to say since then it has skyrocketed Um, awareness about the need to have gender inclusive organizations and more women on boards and so on and so forth you know just the evidence has been coming through thick and fast and now you see things every day um, on twitter on facebook in the media about the importance of equality which they weren't being written about a decade ago no for sure business leaders are cottoning on that if their business is not gender balanced and diverse that they're missing out on talent. And and we've got a big gap in talent, particularly in the major projects delivery space. We don't have and, enough project managers to deliver the projects that we need. And how do you um, encourage uh, your members to go about improving their gender diversity and, you know, maybe other diversity as well, if, if that's an issue for, their, for those companies? Um, do you talk about quotas or you know percentages of women on boards and or do you encourage them in other ways sort of what how do you go about what are your you know how do you go about working your gender balance initiative I guess is the question yeah so we decided very early on that we weren't going to reinvent the wheel and so what we did is we signed up to the women in science and engineering 10 steps campaign it's a straightforward 10 steps in in trying to get more women into business so you know understand the starting point so that you can monitor where you're going educate leaders challenge bias and sexism think about what your you know how you write your job descriptions blah blah blah, blah. it's a very sensible approach and and i i believe that quotas are important in some places so i think um quotas in parliament would yeah. be very useful. Um, I understand that in Belgium, you p- parties uh, every election have to have equal numbers of male and female candidates. Right. If you don't, they are banned from taking part in the next election. <laughs> Crikey. The whole party, not just that regional branch or seat, the whole party. 
So on every ballot, there have to be the same number of men and women that you can vote for, and they have to be alternated. So it's not that you'd get all the men at the top of the ballot paper and all the women at the bottom of the ballot paper. Um, and uh, and surprise, surprise, they have a very well-balanced parliament in Belgium. Mm, mm. So quotas, I think, are really important for those things where what matters is absolute representation is what matters. It matters in parliament that voices, female voices are heard as loudly as male voices because their life, ex life experiences are quite different. And if they're not being heard and, and incorporated within legislation, then we're living in a world that, that doesn't represent us and doesn't reflect our needs. In the workplace, I think it's harder to bring in quotas um, because, because of pipeline issues, because, um, because you, you risk seriously um, disenfranchising all of your male employees if you bring in a female quota. And also, what does that say about, about those boards? about the women who are on those boards. Yeah, sure. But I do think you should bring in targets. There's nothing yep. to target. You yep. don't have to specify a number, but you can set yourself a target of getting better by X percent. Yeah. Um, and then of challenging yourself if you don't get better. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, isn't that what we all do in life? If we want to progress, you say, you know, I say, right, I want to improve my lifts by five kilos in the next two years. And this is the journey that I'll take to get there. You know, if you're not doing that, then it's just a vague wish. Yeah, sure. That's just sure. project management. Yeah, no, that's 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 that is definitely uh, something that I think most businesses should be aiming for, mm -hmm. and that sort of ties nicely in just talking about politics. Um, to your work with Women's Equality Party, which was founded a couple of years ago by Sandy Toxvik and yes. Catherine Mayer, two yes. fabulous women. Yes. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, the aim of WEP and what they do and who everyone is? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the first two. So it's set up because um, basically it's sort of a disappointment with the way in which politics was being done, uh, that women's voices weren't being heard, um, that that it just felt it was politics was being done to us rather than for us or with us. And, you know, I, I joined as soon as I heard about it and I watched the, the early process of determining what our, our objectives are. Um, and essentially, it's, it's campaigning for equal representation in politics and business, equal pay and opportunity, equal parenting and care, caregiving, um, an education system that creates opportunities for all children, equal treatment in the media. Of, of women I think that's critical mm -hmm. um, and very importantly uh, seeking an end to violence against women and at the first party conference as you probably know we added to that um, equality within health provision yeah because what many people wouldn't know is that um, most medical research is undertaken on male bodies rather than female bodies which mean and essentially for the reason that um, women's hormones mess with the results. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. most medication where they tell you to just take half a tablet or whatever is because the the dosage is based on what they would suggest for a man, and they they don't really know the impact on women. You know, most medical symptoms which are described are male symptoms. Um, a friend of mine had heart problem and she actually had a heart attack, age thirty five. She didn't know it was a heart attack because it wasn't the classic 
you know, chest pains and pain down the left arm. Those are classic male symptoms, not female symptoms. I think most people wouldn't know that that's the case about medical trials. I think that's very underdocumented, isn't it? Terrifying, I think, because what it means is that actually very little medical advice is is proven to work for women. Mm. Um, And, you know, and it's no wonder women have um, extended medical histories if if what the treatment that they're given is not based on what their body needs. How do we know? what how drugs react with um estrogen rather than uh testosterone we, we don't know cheers mm. mm. yeah. cheers so that's that's another an aim of the organization now is to incorporate that um, yes. quality in healthcare yes. as well so that was incorporated as, as an additional objective mm-hmm. um, all all very fine very strong objectives and, and one of the things i know that we're looking at trying to do now is encourage more women to stand for um, political positions, whether that's parliamentary or within your local council. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been pushing hard and um, putting up candidates for mayoral positions, council positions, and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, Sophie Walker, yes, yeah, she stood to be the London. Yes, she stood for London Mayor, and like you said, you've yeah. um, you stood people for um, both. A couple of parliamentary positions in London, I think, yes. right? and council yes. positions elsewhere. Yes, that's is that something that you're anticipating will grow as the organisation grows and gets a bit older? I think it has to really, um, because that's the nature of politics. Um, I mean, this is my first experience of politics. I've never been a member of a political party in the past, and what I've realised, and I think the party HQ have realised, is that. You you are only heard when you are campaigning for a seat. Okay. And that what tends to happen, as with Sophie's um, campaign for London Mayor, is that the other candidates start to listen to what you're saying. Mm. In some instances, they incorporated her suggestions into their own manifestos. Because she was supported by Sadiq Khan as a sort of second yeah. candidate, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 Um, so I think I think we need to find more people who are willing to stand um, to put themselves in that position. It's a tough call because female politicians suffer a huge amount of abuse online. Um, yeah. you know, just look at Diane Abbott and um, Jess Phillips. Mm. Um, and so there's an issue there. And um, but hopefully, hopefully we can overcome and encourage more women to stand for positions um, under the banner of the Women's Quality Party. And and on your travels, just talking to people, have you been hearing that online abuse um, is a, a barrier and a, um, a a yeah a barrier to women wanting to stand? As in, are they put off by the co- the possibility of that? Do you think um, it would be for me? I have to be honest. Yeah, um, it would be for me too. I think it's one of those things that is just generally horrific and and people who put up with it you know Jess Phillips is obviously extremely vocal about it is it sounds horrendous it does sound horrendous and I because of things I've done in the past um my home address is very easy to find Mm. and there's one thing just turning off you know blocking all the all the um trolls it's another thing thinking well actually they could easily find out where I live Mm. and I really wouldn't want to have to put up with that sort of nonsense yeah yeah so um you know I've got a life to live and at the end of the day um 
I love the party dearly, but I don't think I'm prepared to put up with that for the sake of the party. It's a sad thing when someone who is so engaged with politics and passionate about the work of the party they represent is discouraged from standing for any sort of public office because of the online vitriol and gendered abuse aimed at women in Parliament. I mentioned Jess Phillips, but this is not confined to Just Labour or the Women's Equality Party. It happens across the political divide. Cross-party support means that this issue is being tackled at the highest levels, but there's still an awful lot of work to be done. This seemed like a slightly downbeat point to end on, but I always ask my guests at the end of our chat whether there's anything exciting coming up for them over the next few months, and if there's anything they'd like to add that we haven't already discussed. I mentioned in the introduction that Manon has previously written about the mental health benefits of weightlifting for women, but to be honest, what she said next was a complete surprise to me. On reflection, though, I'm not surprised. Manon is a woman of ambition and vision, and this next step combines her love of powerlifting with her strong feminist values and compassion for others. So I have a plan, a grand plan, because I think powerlifting is the answer to everything. Um, I'm meeting with, well, I've, I've had a few meetings um, with a group of people in Oxfordshire because we would like to set up a group to um, introduce powerlifting to survivors of domestic and sexual abuse. Okay. Um it's very early days. We've got a little bit of funding. We need to work out the correct path to make sure that we do it in a way which is responsible and supportive and doesn't put those women at additional risks. Yeah. Um, but I, I would, I would love to hear from people who have perhaps experienced this journey. So, has anybody been a survivor of domestic or sexual abuse and and found a way to gain greater confidence and and support and strength through not necessarily powerlifting but sport mm-hmm. um has anybody got any thoughts about how we can ensure that we're protected um yeah it it if you've been told for a big part of your life that you're stupid that you're useless that you have no value that the only value you have is what you look like and that that's pretty rubbish anyway um that you're weak particularly and that's a big thing you know yeah sort of coercive control issue about domestic abuse um when you go and pick up a weight that that belies all of that that challenges all of that that proves to you that actually you are strong and you can do anything if you can squat your body weight oh my god you can do anything Mm. and so it's a revelation to people i have seen people just the biggest smile on their face going oh my god I can do this thing you know this amazingly difficult thing I can do it and it transforms their belief about themselves to the point that it gives them confidence to face all sorts of other things that are unrelated to lifting heavy weights yeah and um you know that that's why I love powerlifting that's why I love coaching women in powerlifting I do Mm. coach men but I but particularly for women, it's this moment of joy that they get when they think, oh, my God. I mean, my friend Lucy that I mentioned, she would not do it. She didn't want to do it. She didn't want to be put under that pressure. She felt it wasn't for her. She's now a world champion, and she is tiny, tiny fraction away from setting a new world record in the bench press, which is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that is awesome and I think that if anyone would like to feedback on that then contact either myself or Manon that would be great Um, so will that just be 
it, will that be in Oxfordshire? Yeah, we'll start. Well, <laughs> I'm going to take over the world, Naomi. <laughs> We clearly have to start in Oxfordshire because that's where we are. But if it works, you know, if we can if we can find a model that works, that because I know so many powerlifters across the country, that we could roll it out. Yeah, so we sure. just get a pairing between domestic abuse supporters and powerlifters. We can, you know, there's no reason why it can't be replicated. It's a pipeline project at the moment. We've got our first um, our first lifting session tomorrow. Oh, cool. So. Awesome. Um, just to sort of try it out, not with a group of, not with, with one one survivor and one social worker, to just, so with the three of us, sort of coach, survivor, social worker, we can look at it from all different angles and think it through. And, um, and then hopefully by October, we'll be ready to, to launch it. I wish Manon all the best with this new venture. It's a really interesting idea that we'll be following with interest. If anyone does have any expertise, comments or experience they'd like to share on the subject, then feel free to contact Manon. She's pretty active on Twitter at Manon Bradley, so that's probably the best port of call. If you're interested in powerlifting, check out the British Drug-Free Powerlifting Association at bdfpa.co.uk. And remember, drugs aren't necessary, kids. That's all for this time, and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing the Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next time.